Hello, welcome to Only God Rescue Me, my journey from satanic ritual abuse. I'm Lisa Meister, your host, and I'm very happy to bring back to you Amy Pfeffer. Welcome, Amy. Hello. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. I so appreciate you and all you do. I'm honored to be here. Amy, you are a hero in, in my world because you have stepped into the ritual abuse community and you not only counsel survivors or coach survivors, now you're a coach, but you also go around and you are multifaceted and bringing education in a myriad, myriad of ways. Do you want to tell it? everybody exactly what it is that you do, because you can explain it much better than I can. Oh, sure. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, share my screen if you don't mind. So yeah, I'll be speaking on, um, as far as for survivors healing and building a support system today, um, what my organization's name is called is Elysian Oaks Life Coaching. So I am a nationally certified counselor. I'm a master's of clinical mental health counseling. I do practice as a coach, however, and there are some differences um, there. Um, I'm a certified Simbas facilitator, which is just like mar marital coaching and premarital coaching and all of that. I've been a professional project manager. I've been married for 15 years. And really what I've seen, um, I'll go to the next slide as well, I've worked with um, anxious, depressive healing on the coaching side, career exploration, spirituality, faith, deconstruction, and rebuilding, because uh, I think rebuilding is, is very important, especially if you've had uh, ritual abuse or abuse of any kind in the church, trauma, dysfunctional relationship and familial relationship, interpersonal skills coaching, grief, um, group coaching. And then I obviously, as you mentioned, Lisa, work with sex trafficked and uh, ritual abuse survivors. And so what I've seen throughout the course of my career thus far, and I've been in healthcare for, you know, 17 plus years, is um, God is placing these individuals before practitioners and giving them a voice in a mighty way. Um, and so it's not really anything that I've done. It's God opening the door um, for these survivors to be able to speak with practitioners who will, number one, believe their story, listen to them, hear the heartache and depravity and come alongside of them and just build plans together collectively to see them empowered and, and get over to the side of healing. Uh, so it's an honor for me to be able to walk alongside of them. But honestly, it's God that's giving these individuals a voice right now. And it's um, been made very evident to me. And it's really important what you do. You are actually the first person I met who really understood SRA beyond just survivors talking about it. Like you're a professional who knew about it professionally. It's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I <laughs> you know, it, it shocked me. Uh -huh. You know, it's like you, you know, you go into places to educate people about it. And it, it just flabbergasted me. It's like, you mean professionals know about this? Sure. Yeah, I wouldn't say that we all do. And so I'm moving you around on my screen here. I, I wouldn't say that all of the professionals do. And honestly, I worked in a group uh, practice where they didn't really understand the sex trafficking world, let alone, you know, SRA. Um, so that was a big, it almost seemed taboo, like they didn't really want to touch it. But you do have 
individuals out there who are aware of it, you know, Vander Kolk, among others, who are prominent professionals in their industry, um, and they've been in the practice long enough to have seen these types of individuals with a significant amount of trauma come before them. Um, now, there's a suppression of data as well that I've seen clearly displayed where this information um, is suppressed, but then also there's a term called conspiracy therapist as well. And so therapists were losing their licenses if they were coming alongside of SRA um, individuals. There's uh, APA, American Psycholo or Psychological Association, American Counseling Association, American Medical Model, where a lot of um, the satanic panic term came along where they were saying these individuals don't have actual memory of this. These are false memory syndrome came along, which that was disproven, obviously. Um, but it's taken a lot of time for people to come to an understanding of this world. But in my, in my world, it, there was a group practice of like 15 plus therapists. They had never heard of it. So I do know that some therapists are catching on, but there's also a stigma out there that a lot of people that know about it don't want to talk about it with a 10 foot pole. Right. But you do, and you'll even go into churches and talk about it. You'll go into schools and talk about it. You will go anywhere and talk knowledgeably about it. And you will have facts. You'll have figures. You'll have a lot of information to give people. You're not just there saying, oh, yeah, I've, you know, like for me, it's like I can talk to you about survivors and I can tell you survivor stories where you can give facts, you can give figures, you can give psychological data. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's been helpful. And honestly, I've learned the most from survivors. If we all would just believe them and listen to them, we'd have a lot more data. And if the church were able to stand up alongside of them and fight this beast, uh, game over, you know, and so I think that's what we need to do. Why doesn't the church, do you think? Um, I think it's multiple reasons. I think suppression of data is one of them. I think, unfortunately, the trip, the, the the church has been stripped or neutered of its power in a lot of ways with these occulted brotherhood networks and secret societies and things like that. So, um, the power. One of the things that I learned recently, just going through my, the first Bible I ever got, it was a New Living Translation, and in the book of Matthew, um, where it describes how to cast out, you know, specific uh, unclean spirits and things like that. There's, there was a verse that's taken out of it. And that was the one about prayer and fasting that uh, with prayer and fasting, there are specific entities that can't be, you know, cast out. And what, what does that mean? Why are they trying to occult this data? Uh, well, there's, there's a big um, data suppression uh, project out there and that's what's happening as well. But I think there's also fear in the church. You know, there's fear to look at something so horrific and ugly. It's nicer and more Pollyanna utopian to think that this doesn't exist. And I think the church has been shielded from a lot of uh, what's happened. So I think it's multifaceted. It's not just one reason. Um, but I think those are some of the reasons that I've seen. Yeah. And, and there are some churches that are starting to talk about it. There are some churches that are letting survivors come in and give their testimonies. So yeah, absolutely. Starting to come along. And if you're a church that does that, good for you. Good, good for, for you. you. Yeah. Thank you. So we have a lot of survivors that have trouble with friendships. They have trouble 
maintaining them. They have trouble explaining, explaining healing to family members, friends, to churches, and they have a feeling of isolation. So how do we help them? How do we help people to understand survivors? Because healing from satanic ritual abuse can take a long time. And people don't get that. And it's really hard to explain why it takes so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's a great, I mean, we all need community and a support system. And so I'll be talking a little bit about that today, because I think that's one of the, the key success indicators for survivors is to be able to have that. Now, the cult builds inside of each of them a a kind of hesit- not only hesitancy, but a lot of failure when it comes to uh, attempting to build a community or support system outside of the cult. Um, and so the programming that's kind of not even locked in, it's just a program that's out there within them is no one can love you better than the cult. Nobody will ever love you like the cult. And that's a program. It's a program that has to be broken. And so how do we do that? How do we go about breaking that program? Um, and really, I think it's knowledge, you know, awareness of like, how do these cults work? How do they gain control of our minds and access our minds? Um, I think one of the most sickening things is they have children as their victims, children that are so innocent and easily led and manipulated. And so these cults come along and scare them with these lies and they lock in this programming into their minds to say, we are the ones that love you while simultaneously horrifically abusing and torturing them. Um, And so how do you step outside of that mentality? It's very difficult. But as Svali says, if anyone knows Svali in her book, it's not impossible healing from ritual abuse and mind control programming. It's really, really hard, but it's not impossible. We can do it and people are doing it every day. And that's what I've seen. It's so empowering to see people willing to have the humility enough to step outside of the cult, break the programming and prove them wrong that their program does not have authority over their brilliant minds and bodies, as Kathy O'Brien says, you know, we can reclaim free thought. Um, We have resilience in our spirit and we can build communities. Um, It just takes time and it takes a lot of tenacity. It takes um, the survivor themselves pursuing relationship instead of being pursued. Um, I think that can be a dangerous uh, thing as well for survivors. So I think all of those things and more. Bless you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I remember things like, even during the day. So we get programmed at, you know, during the rituals, but like my dad saying, we had moved when I was four, we had moved from Ohio to Northern Michigan and grew up always hearing, we will never be a part of this community. You have to be born here to be a part of it. You know, and that was drummed into us all the time. And then when I got married, you will never really belong to Patrick. You know, and then when he came in, um, my mom saying things like, this is a family thing. Don't tell Patrick, 
you know, so that, that, you know, the programming doesn't just during rituals, but they keep it going during the day, you know, the chipping away at, you cannot have friends. Every time I tried to have a friend growing up, I was told why there's things wrong with the person, you know, there's this constant pulling you away that you cannot be a part of anything. And even to this day, I, I, you know, there's this feeling that I, I don't fit in. And I still fight that, you know, you, you just don't fit in anywhere. And I know that in my groups that I have, that that is a constant thing that everybody is experiencing that I don't fit in. And then there's that, um, all the isolating things that come with SRA. So many people deny its existence. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people that, don't understand it, or they think you're demon possessed. You know, I have people that have referred to me as an ex Satanist. It's like, no, I was, I never lined up with a group, you know, just because you're in the group does yeah. not make you an ex Satanist. Yeah. That's or, not my value system. I don't align with that. Yeah. Yeah. Or that, uh, well, you should be over it by now. You know, yeah, I, that's you a know. hard one. That's a really hard one, I think. And yeah. I hear that a lot with the survivors that I'm working with. Unfortunately, you know, if this programming has occurred for so many years during the most developmental years of their, um, you know, development, it's very difficult to change your entire worldview in a, in an instant. Now they know they don't want to continue aligning. There's a lot of incongruency with satanic principles and the enemy design. Like they don't want that, you know, but it does take some, and oftentimes it takes years for survivors to just completely do an about face on their worldview. It's not a simple process, unfortunately. Programming for them took many years and it may take many years to deprogram as well. And we have to have patience and grace and kindness for that. Right. And then churches, they're, they don't wanna hear about it. You know, mm-hmm. so if a survivors, you know, like other people can talk about their traumas but you can't talk about SRA specifically, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, there's all of these, or there's, there's retreats for all sorts of different traumas that people can go and get help for, but there are no SRA retreats. And, you know, there's, there's reasons for that, but right. there aren't any, there just aren't, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So, it, it, you know, however way you look at it, it's, it's an isolating thing. So then you have these friendships and you're trying to explain to them why it's taking so long to heal and they don't get it. Yeah. It's hard. And I know we talked a little bit before uh, we started the recording, but it's just that spirit. I I honestly feel like it's two separate programs pitted against each other because we've got mind control, ritual abuse, um, SRA, but then it's coupled with a an ignorance that's programmed into the church through legalism um and you know the stripped power from from the word and they don't even understand that that's what they're under it's this religious legalistic spirit and then the programming is collide um and, and we don't want to judge either party because it's not their it's not their fault but it is up to us to collectively come to knowledge and awareness over time. And so what I'm seeing too, is this dichotomy between you've got this 
precious survivor that's experienced this is feeling outcasted and invalidated and rejected because they can't speak about their experience because it's too traumatic for everyone else. Um, but as they're building relationships with individuals in the church, and if they're able to retain, and sometimes they're not, and I totally get that they're not able to retain their patience with the church. <laughs> it's very difficult because they're like, "What? Well, you could go to a trauma therapist and walk through your trauma, but I can't go to you and talk to you about trauma, but also these ritual components that are very real to me because it's too much for you. So it's as the friendship is built and they're raising awareness with the church, then the church people, hopefully, they'll find some that will partner with them and be curious enough to hang in there with them. But like you were saying, like the cult programs, all of this stuff into them at, to annihilate friendships and to wear out helpers and to wear out friendships. So it's like, there's not many people that would know how to even stick in there with them. And it's really becomes easy for them to walk away. And so I think it's both it's, it's survivors understanding and having grace and forgiveness towards the church for not be, and I know that's hard. I'm not saying that's not, you know, I, it's not easy, but if they can press into that grace and build the friendship enough to educate them, the church will be able to partner. And I know that it seems backwards, but a lot of the church, not all churches, but a lot of the churches is not ready yet to step into that kind of world. We need the survivors though. I need the survivors to learn from them and advocate on their behalf. And I think a lot of us do, a lot of us do. So if, if they can hang in there and have the grace for the church, I think the church will be able to step up to the plate, not all churches, but some, and that's what we need. And I would guess the majority of survivors have stepped out of the church because they've been so hurt in the mm -hmm. churches at this point, which is sad. Yes. Well, I I, you know, I have you know, I'm not in a church right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then we have that too, which is unfortunate, sure. you know, so like, you know, at some point we got to get this back together and fix it, which is tough. Yeah. And then there's also the debate of, you know, and there's so many thoughts about this. The modern day church is not quite what the early church was. It's, you know, there's a lot of things that I disagree with about today's model of church. Um, it's a, it's very much a business model. And previously, churches met house to house to house to house, right? And there's a lot of scriptures yeah. that indicate that. So um, people who are out of the church doesn't mean that you're not part of the church. As long as you're communing with other believers and you're able to challenge each other sharpening each other like iron sharpens iron in debate. I think we all need to debate each other. We're, we don't all have the answers in a vacuum of isolation. We simply don't, we need each other. And so I think scripture is accurate when it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It didn't say don't forsake the assembling of yourselves within four walls of the church. Yeah, and it's true. You know, the, the model that it is today, I just, there's a lot that I disagree about. Um, but I do feel like, unfortunately, the church is a little bit like a sinking Titanic. Yeah, and that know, is true. Been neutered of power. A lot of uh, very important things have been occulted from us. And some of us, I believe, are called to get in a dinghy and 
go to the church and try to help save them, you know, and a lot of people are raising their hands up like, nope, it's too late for the church. I'm out. You know, I think we just have to wrestle with that internally with the Lord, but I do validate people that don't feel like the church has been able to step up for them. I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I started getting attacked in the church by Satanists. And so, you know, at that point I'm like, because we tried to sneak into the last one. My husband's like, okay, we're going to go. We're not going to get involved. We'll just sneak in, sneak out and still got targeted. You know, so it's like at this point, you know, we're just attracting. So wow, I don't know. Yeah. It just, it gets tough. That doesn't you know? sound fun, Lisa. No, it was not. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and it just made me mad, you know, but then we went and approached the pastors and then it just, the whole thing just torpedoed from there. So it's like, yeah, you know, we don't, you know, we deal with SRA all week with what I do. I don't need drama on Sunday. You well, know, yeah. the day still- of the Lord should be about the Lord, not about Satanists. <laughs> you know, no, like- and especially if they're still aligned with satanic principles, like we're not, we're trying to get away from that. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and that's the thing too, is it a safe church? And then you've got unsafe churches and then that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what can we say to, I know we got a lot of spouses right now in, in the groups where I, I am, there's a lot of spouses that have been expressing a lot of anger and towards their SRA healing survivor that you should be over this by now. Mm. What can we say to help them to understand that they are going after healing? It just takes time. Yeah. You know, I think it kind of goes back to what I was sharing before, but I do have um, something that I would like to, to pull up. I don't know if everyone is, familiar with um probably alexandra but i was just a part of one of her um articles and she just does such a wonderful job um of explaining cult mentality and what is placed inside of individuals and how long it might take to heal and so this is um This is an article that I was recently part of where um, she asked my experience and um, I shared kind of about my my background a little bit, who the victims are, you know, with satanic ritual abuse and mind control programming, how I learned about it, what I wish the public knew about um, the mental health field, advice for the readers, um, survivor experiences, and then what we can do to help. And so this is really what I would say, you know, for individuals, spouses, friends, family, church, you know, we need to seek God first in his heavenly culture. His mindset is incredibly difficult, or I'm sorry, not difficult, different than ours on this earth. We've got a fallen mentality. There's a lot of judgmental Job's friends mentality going on in the church. And so seeking his heavenly culture is very, very different Um, If we study and research mind control programming, ritual abuse, SRA, stigmata programming, um, the Spanish Inquisition, how the Holocaust, all of the Nazi and fascist scientists that came over during Project Paperclip, all of the ways that they 
um, utilized from the wars how to control the mind. It's incredibly important for us to understand this detailed information. There's a lot of declassified documents out there. We need to understand how the enemy works. And we need to understand that it's not a one and done overnight healing thing. And I know what I'm hearing from a lot of people, do I think that Yeshua can come in, our Heavenly Father can come in and instantly heal people? Sure, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. But I do know that this programming has taken a lot of time. And these people are controlled assets within their families, within their family hierarchy and lineages. And some of them are government controlled assets. We can't just expect them, if this knowledge has been occulted from us, to snap out of it. We've got to be in it with them for the long haul. And unfortunately, that can take some years. Um, if they partner with a practitioner that's knowledgeable, maybe we can expedite the timeline. But we do have to um, kind of pull from God's heavenly culture with all of the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of the things we've got to really pull on. That's the fruit of the spirit. That's the fruit by which we are judged. And so we really need to press into that and ask, ask the Lord, are we capable of tapping into his spirit? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So we do have to fill ourselves up as well in order to be able to pour into others. We do have to understand the enemy that we're up against. And it's not always simple. And it's not always fast. That's good. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we distinguish between safe and unsafe friends? So I have a beautiful slide for this. Hopefully I can bring it up. Can you see that okay? Yep. Okay. Um, so moving uh, real quick, if you don't mind. I wanted to talk about my logo, my company name. Uh, there's been some survivors that have mentioned, uh, well, Amy, do you know that Elysian is a Greek term? Um, and I think the concern is, you know, and I want to validate that concern is that, you know, there are some Greek fraternal orders and things like that. And so they were just concerned that maybe I was an infiltrator or a plant or, you know, I want everyone to investigate and do their research and, um, always question everything, including me. Um, but Elysian is a term that means heavenly. Oak is the the largest and strongest tree in the Northern hemisphere. Um, and so that's why we chose that terminology. Um, I have the word Shemayim, which is the Hebrew term for he heavenly. It just didn't sound as nice. So that's why I chose that. Um, just wanted to let everybody know that that's why. Um, okay, so from a from a friend, perspective, when you're building new relationships and trying to build your community, knowing your own value system is incredibly important. And so I guess my question to everyone viewing this is, have you ever thought about what your value system is before? Including others in your inner circle, they will have to be congruent with your value system. So, you know, for me, faith is very important, but I do have atheist friends, you know, it's, am I able to open that door? Some people aren't, you know, and, and so we've just really got to wrestle with that. Um, are you looking for someone with kindness, with uh, consistency, you know, or what, what do you want to be? Not, it's not always what we are today. 
um, but it's who we want to be. And that's the type of individual that you want inside your community or support system. So I would say that's kind of the first thing is to determine what is your own value system and how can you include people in your support team and community that is congruent with that. And then I did want to talk about, you know, safe versus unsafe characteristics. Now, we all, by the way, have unsafe characteristics inside of us. And so I think the first thing going through this is like, hey, what what might I be struggling with that I need to deal with? This is not intended to be judgmental or condemning to anyone, but just be eyes wide open as far as what might I need to work on. But then if there's someone that has unsafe characteristics around me, that's fine. But when they start to stack up and, you know, become like, 12 to 15 of these unsafe characteristics I'm seeing consistently, um, we may want to look at that caution flag and we may want to consider not including a bunch of individuals that have these unsafe characteristics on a continual basis. And so let's go down the, the safe characteristics first here and then we'll go through unsafe. And then Lisa, if you have any questions along the way, you can let me know. Um, but for safe characteristics, we are wanting to partner with and become someone who values love and connection and is working on our ability to trust others. Uh, we also want to value responsibility. I think this one is huge because although we were, and myself included, I was a victim, you know, and taking responsibility once we're adults for the damage that's been done and working on that, knowing that perpetrators may be unhealed for the rest of their lives and there's literally nothing we can do about their choices. We do need to re take responsibility today um, to not stay in only blame mode and work on inner healing and forgiveness so that we can be set free to live the life that God has for us and kind of let them go on their path. And so a safe characteristic is just valuing that responsibility internally, but also appreciating others that do as well. Um, another safe characteristic is not being overly dependent on others um, or codependent. A lot of this comes from attachment dysregulation, right? So if we don't have safe attachments with our primary caregivers, we do kind of become automatically codependent. And so working on that attachment dysregulation after we're in an abusive situation is very important. Um, another thing that I've seen is that people tend to feel when they come from that type of background responsible for other people's emotions. So one of the marks of safety internally or a safe characteristics is learning where you end and where another person begins and that you don't have to own their emotional outcomes for any scenario. Does that make sense? Yeah, that one's tough. That one is tough. That These one's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, again, this is not something that anyone will be able to do right away. Not coming out of that type of background. Absolutely not. Um, but in order to build a community and support system and to be safe within ourselves, these are the things that we need to start to work on. Right. Um, another, the next one is valuing honesty. Right. We've been lied to all of our lives in the cult and honesty breaks all of that. Truth breaks all of that. And so having um, the ability to be known, transparent in who we really are 
at the beginning of your work, you're not going to know who you really are because you've only been told who someone else said you were and what you are allowed to do. So it's behavioral control, emotional control, thought control, all of that. But now we're breaking out of that and moving towards this safe characteristic. Um, also working on our own issues, not focusing on blaming others or gossiping about others, um, and then having a good track record. So if we are just starting out, if we're just beginning, we can fail and that we're supposed to fail, but we're working on having a good track record. These are all kind of marks of um, safe characteristics. So on the unsafe side, we have, if, if we never admit weakness or fault, but project only perfection. Now, a lot of us, were I was trained in this. You know, I grew up with a lot of borderline uh, personality disorder, uh, a lot of abuse and trauma. And so I could never say, oh, what you just did to me is wrong. You can't, you couldn't do that. And so you're taught, don't admit weakness or fault. But that over time, if that's not checked, that can become an unsafe characteristic. And so we just have to be humble enough to work on uh, some of those characteristics. When we're defensive and not open to feedback, um, self-righteous and not humble, apologize but never change our behavior, avoid working on problems and not dealing with them, demanding trust instead of allowing um, ourselves to humbly learn from others, and then blaming others instead of taking responsibility in adulthood. Um, now, I do think that there's room for rage. I do think that there's room for anger because of the things that have been done to us. Um, but if we continuously look behind and blame and blame for where we are today, then we're not going to make any upward mobility towards who we want to be and where we want to be. Um, so these are all just good things to consider as we look at what we want to change within ourselves and then what we want to invite into our inner circle. Um, you have any questions on that, Lisa? Any challenges? I'm open to challenges as well. No, I do see, though, just some thoughts that it's very easy for a survivor to put up with all the unsafe things because you have to. We always have. We're not allowed to question it, but you don't see it as wrong. Right. Because right. that's your conditioning. That's the conditioning that you're not, you know, or if I don't put up with all the unsafe things, I'm not going to have any friends. Mm -hmm. So I, I'll put up with that because I'll have nobody and I will be all alone. And that's an, a huge fear for survivors. Yes. So I see that problem. Another thing is I see survivors forced into staying with people because your job as a Christian is to minister. So this unsafe person is going to go to hell if you're not there to minister to them. So you have to keep them in your life because they need God more than you need because you, yeah, you're getting hurt, but th they're going to go to hell if you don't stay with them. So you better stay in there with them. Yeah. And that's kind of that religious programming because as a practitioner, you know, there have been some clients, I won't say a lot of clients that are incredibly unsafe. Um, and there's a certain amount of buffer that can be allotted for that. But when it becomes abusive in any way, game over for me. I, I will not allow a, a bunch of unsafe, uh, abusive behavior, you know, so there is a buffer I think that we need to have because these people are coming out of really horrific backgrounds, but 
we also have to put some boundaries in place because um, we need to learn. And sometimes it's what we would deem tough love, you know, and I've had to go through that as well, learning to just be independent and autonomous from my family of origin. I've unfortunately had to be estranged from them for, you know, some of them over a decade, um, just because they're so very unsafe. And that's the most difficult thing to walk away from your primary attachment figures. I get that. Um, but I, if I stayed there, I would remain unsafe. And so we've got to consider all of the above uh, when we're talking about building safety internally and externally. So if you are like around these unsafe people with these unsafe characteristics, what would it do to you over time? You mean if you stayed in like a family of origin? Yeah. Or you stayed with a friend who exhibits all these unsafe characteristics towards you. Yeah, um, it, it keeps you stagnant you know, on a path of self-destruction. Um, it surrounds you with negativity. Um, and there's really no uh, projection of growth. You know, I mean, there's so many reasons why you'd want to consider this internally and externally. Um, they will keep you down. They will keep you from achieving what your intelligent designer has called you to do. And really, it, it impacts more than just your community and support system. It impacts your mentality, your physiology, your biology, your social circle, your emotional. Um, you know, there are people that stay in these abusive patterns and cycles that continue to have breaking down of their internal organs or histamine responses, hair loss, stress, uh, inability to keep a job. I mean, there's just so many things and reasons why we would want to not only become safe internally for ourselves, but not have unsafe people around us reinforcing the patterns that we came from. I have been noticing lately, because it seems like I'm in a season right now of noticing who are the safe people and who are the unsafe people. So it's like this purging going on right now mm -hmm. that when I'm around safe people, I'm laughing, I'm mm -hmm. joking around, and I'm starting to find out who I really am for the first time in my life. And when I'm around unsafe people, I am quiet. I can't think mm -hmm. and I'm getting depressed and I feel like yeah. I'm straitjacketed and muted. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's like night and day. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And they're dealing with their own internal baggage that they, you know, it seems like some of those individuals just never want to get out of it because there's something in it for them to stay where they are. And if they can pull you down, it's like the crabs in the bucket mentality. When one crab gets to the top, another one pulls them down. If you stay in the bucket, you will always be pulled down. It's that one that gets out and it seems like they're on their own when really they're so much further away from the depths of despair that they were in, but it's hard for them to recognize it because then they're on their own for a little bit. And the thing to remember is it's only temporary. As long as we are willing to put the work in, it's kind of like um, I view a sunflower field, you know, when there's one particular sunflower that grows up really, really high and they might look around and see there's where am I? I'm alone. They're filled with sunflowers all around them. It's just not everybody's ready to be that rooted and to build themselves up. But soon enough, there will be another sunflower that comes along and, and 
you'll be like, oh my word, I'm so thankful that I stuck in there. You know, I'm not alone. And yes, I, there's many sunflowers around me, but not everyone wants to dig their roots in deep. Um, so, and I'm not saying that to say the other sunflowers are beneath you in any way. Right. You know, it's just, we've got to keep digging in there and digging our roots deep so that we can meet others who are on the same trajectory and the other ones who aren't, um, and that's okay. It's not up to us to control them in any way. Sometimes we just have to recognize we can't allow them to take up real estate in our mind and our hearts for much longer. You know, we sometimes outgrow those relationships and that's okay. Is that a non-Christian attitude? I don't believe so. Would you challenge me on that? No. <laughs> because, because, but there's, you know, a lot of people that say that oh, that's unchristian. Well, and I think that's a big problem. And I've got some posts out there on my um, Elysian Oaks Life Coaching page about that very thing. Because I think that the church mentality of hanging in there in an abusive relationship has done a lot of damage to people. Yeah. If, if they're not living under the authority of our intelligent designer that has a very specific, that's going back to the heavenly culture of like how we are supposed to treat each other and the lifestyles that we are supposed to live. It's honoring, it's uplifting, it bears fruit. It really does bear fruit. And I think the next slide will show that a little bit more because there's still some uh, safe and unsafe characteristics we need to go through, but um, there will be fruit from being in relationships with, with individuals like that. Now, I can't say that when I came out of, you know, the sex industry background that I was in, that I had a lot of fruit going on. Like I may have come to know Yeshua at age 17, but I was still learning. I, I was still learning. And so I'm glad that I put myself in situations and like deplanted myself from that horrible forest that I was in and built a new orchard elsewhere and fully immersed myself in a different environment because I was able to build relationships and see modeled what I wanted. Was I awkward? Absolutely. Did I fail in relationships? All the time. But we have to have grace for ourselves so that we can grow and put boundaries in place. It's highly important if we've, if our boundaries have been violated historically. Right. Ready for the next slide? Yes. All right. So going down on the safe uh, characteristics here can be observed and tested in interactions with others as safe. And so this next part where it says, learn to share a small part of our heart instead of leaning into instant connections right away. And I think I see this with a lot of survivors where they're like, but we just clicked. It was just this instant connection. And it's like, oh, like when I first came out of where I came out of, there were familiar spirits. There were people that were abusers. There were people that I would gravitate towards because it was familiar. We have to check ourselves here. And we have to pursue other relationships and we have to test the hearts of individuals. And I'm not saying... We're trying to throw tests out there. Are you going to be there for me, you know, in a, in a codependent way? It's just like, let's pump the brakes on relationships, go slowly, ask a lot more questions. Don't dive into instant connections right away. A lot of times that is going to get us into trouble because we've been used to so much abuse that we may just reinvent another abusive situation before us without realizing it. Right. 
and then obviously bear good fruit in our lives and then encourage friends to grow individually and in their connections with others. You really want to be supportive in that when you see just like what you were talking about, Lisa, when somebody, your family was like, nope, you're not going to be part of this community. We stay to ourselves. No, you can't be with that friend. Look at what they do here. You know, it's just very isolative, manipulative um, mindset. Right. And so unsafe, and we've talked about some of these, but just lying instead of consistently honest, stagnant instead of growing, avoiding closeness instead of connecting. I understand that that's difficult. That will grow over time as we're persistent. Um, only concerned about oneself instead of being relationship or we-centered. Resisting freedom uh, for others instead of encouraging it. Condemning instead of forgiving. That one's hard because a lot of us have come out of really tough situations and a lot of us might be bitter right away. And that's okay, but we do need that condemnation and unforgiveness and we do need to walk towards freedom there. Um, when we stay in parent-child roles with others, kind of that parentified child role, that is unsafe. Um, continuing to show instability over time and instead of helping to get towards a consistent plateau kind of place and then and rising up there. Um, anyone that's a negative influence instead of positive and that we just kind of talked about that. And we've also talked about gossiping instead of keeping confidences. I think too you know, think about how you feel after you're with a person. Do you feel better after being with a person or do you feel worse when you're with them? Yeah. Because sometimes when you start looking at it, it's like, I never feel better after mm -hmm. spending time with a certain person. That's, it's a really good indicator if you take the time to look at that. Yeah. And I think too, myself included, like when I came out, I just wanted to be around others. And so when we take what's convenient for us and what's just accessible to us, we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble and we just settle for whatever's in front of us. And so we don't even really attune ourselves to how do I feel being around this person? We just want to fill our time with anyone so that we're not alone. And I, I understand being alone feels isolating. Sometimes it is better to be alone and continue to search for appropriate community and support instead of um, just taking what whatever's before us. There are a lot of survivors who are just absolutely isolated. Mm -hmm. So sometimes churches are a tough place to find community. Where else could be a good place to start their search? Um. You know, there are so many ways, especially through COVID, you know, a lot of us had a significant transformation in what our community looked like. Um, what I learned to do, and I'm not saying everybody can do this, I, I was just out in the community a lot. I was putting groups together. I was getting Bible study groups together. I was calling people that I met. If I, if I detected or sensed that another individual had a congruent value system, um, I would pursue those relationships. And I know that's hard to say, please pursue relationships when you've been so hurt and the trust is so lacking, but trust in your intelligent designer as well. He will put people there. We just have to put in some work and have some tenacity. Um, and we have to have the eyes to see 
we have to be attuned enough to ourselves to hear messages of, oh, I'm seeing some red, red flags. Some, not all of us come without red, I mean, most of us are going to have some red flags. And so I just wanna put that out there, right? We all have unsafe characteristics, but just recognizing what is around us and can we create opportunities for community? I think we can. We just have to be tenacious and, and fight for it. And how many of the unsafe characteristics should be that huge red flag, did you say? I just think, you know, there's not really a a number, but it's like when you when you see them stacking one on top of the other, the question is, could this be an individual that is sent by the cult? Because I know a lot of times they just do that. Um, that's why Svali talks about you being the one to pursue relationships instead of the other way around, just to not get into that, uh, oh, this might be someone who was sent by the cult and wants to keep me reaccessed and reprogrammed. So, um, but you know, I mean, I would say if there's a fairly significant amount of these that stack on, on top of each other, be aware and then press into our intelligent designer to say, is this someone that I want to have in my inner circle? Or are you telling me that this really isn't safe for me at this time? And maybe you're both working on it. And over time, as your safe characteristics grow, then maybe you can reconnect and come back together. But you know, I have found that the Lord has placed people in my life for seasons at a time, and then they're gone. And it's like, whatever we went through together, I had to learn and we're no longer super connected and that's okay. But I learned something from that. I was humbled by that. Uh, I was refined in that. And that to me helped me to be closer to my God and then be a safer person for myself and for other people. So it is a learn, and it's one of those things just like SRA or deprogramming. It's like, it takes time. We have to have grace for ourselves. We have to be willing to fail. We have to be willing to be awkward and we have to be willing to try new things. And that's a big part of building a community and support system. Absolutely. Yeah. So the cult plants that come into our life are tricky. Those, mm -hmm. those are scary and they can play the long game. I mean, they can be in our, our life for decades mm -hmm. and then we notice them and we feel very scared and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So how do we, how do we find out who they are? So I would highly recommend there's a programmed series that probably Alexandra has put together and the second video is called Cultic Control. And so she goes through all of the programming tactics and what individuals use that are uh, infiltrators or people that are placed in your world as a cult member without you knowing. Um, love bombing techniques, grooming techniques, things that someone coming out of that background would be more apt to fall for. Um, so I think knowledge and awareness is incredibly important. Also being attuned to ourselves. If, if someone is pursuing you consistently or they just happen to meet you somewhere and you're like, this is so crazy. We have so much similarities and they're from the same background as me. And oh my goodness, they, they want to pursue me. Caution, caution, caution. That is a red warning flag right there that we've got to really pump the brakes and say, if I'm not pursuing this person, I need to have a lot of questions right now to protect my heart and mind and body. So just know the way that they work. And I think Alexandra does a good job of laying that out. Good. 
Yeah. Yeah. Patrick and I have been having talks lately about certain people, you know, and, and I think that you have to be willing to have that conversation with God, that there cannot be any people in your life that you can't be willing to shed to stay safe. Exactly. You know, and, and if God says, okay, this needs, this person needs to go for your, for your safety, you know, and, and run it by some other people that you trust that hear from God too, you know, to make sure that, you know, you're not hearing wrong. You're not off some way. And if, and if God is telling you to get rid of somebody, get rid of them mm -hmm. because they, they can get in, they can mess with your mind. They can reprogram. They can distance you from God. They can confuse you. Mm -hmm very easily yeah it's a very uh deceptive psychological operation and it's it's how the enemy utilizes warfare against you but i think you know just like what kathy says knowledge is our first defense against the cult and mind control so being aware um is incredibly important that program series just so everyone knows it can be triggering depending on which one you're you're watching but the second video cultic control lays all of that out very strategically and very helpfully for people who are trying to avoid these types of um nefarious activities and predatorial activities and you'll give me the link so i can put them in yes show notes. Yeah. okay yeah, wonderful mm -hmm. was there anything else you had to share with us today Oh my goodness. I have so many things. I will run through them very quickly. Okay. So I'm sorry. Go oh, no, no, you're good. There, you do not have to even hurry. <laughs> Take well, your time. One of the things that I wanted to share about healing and um, community system building is that it really is like a full-time job. Um, and so if you can go in with the mentality of like, this is a job that I'm not going to get paid for, but in the long run, it's the richest job. It will make you the richest person because that is how we quantify wealth is through safe relationship, a godly relationship where we are helping to honor each other, respect each other and walk each other through the hardest times in life and in healing. So we do kind of have to look at things like it's a full-time job. Um, I already shared a little bit of this um, with my um, article with probably Alexandra, I'll send you that link as well. Healed people heal people. And so with the amount of healing that we all can do, imagine the amount of healing that could occur out there. It's pretty uh, tremendous. Um, one of the things that I did want to share is like, as you're segregating yourself from, you know, relationships that are not serving you well, uh, people in the cold, you know, things like that. We do have to, to contemplate what that would look like. And one of the things that I run up against just with my own background is, you know, recently I've had um, an old friend that I grew up with who's was close with my family. And she's come to me on my social media pages and messaged me and pretty much said, I don't believe any of your memories are accurate. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, you know, questioning my memories. I'm like, oh my goodness, just look at the court records. Just, you know, I don't have to prove anything to you. But I think it does put one back on their feet a little bit when your memories are questioned. Um, we can all 
you know, a lot of us prove through documentation or court records or whatever it is that our memories are accurate. But it is hard to hear that. And that stops a lot of people from leaving the cult is invalidating memories. Um, so a lot of the things that I've seen just in my own life, and I'll share just a few things is like when they normalize trauma within the family unit and with the friends that they invite around them, they normalize trauma. And so to them, it doesn't seem like a big deal. And so that's why they might say, oh my gosh, what, what are you remembering? Because I don't remember any of this. Well, there was a man named Satan living in my home. Okay. My sister was being groomed and raped by this man. Um, my mother was supplying drugs and alcohol to my friends. I was forced to testify in a court setting against my family. That's incredibly difficult and traumatizing. Um, I lived with a strip club owner and there is record of that. My mother took Playboy bunny pictures of me at four years old in a bunny costume and said to everyone, how great would, would that be if my daughter were featured in a Playboy bunny, uh, bunny magazine at four years of age? My sisters were bought stripper, stripper clothes for senior pictures. My cousin died in the pornographic film industry. It's like, I know these things, but if somebody comes along from your past and says everything that you're saying from a memory standpoint is inaccurate, that can really um, put some instability into survivors. And so what I would say is stand strong. You know what happened to you. I believe you. There are a lot of people out there that will believe you. A lot of us have documentation. APA, AMA, ACA all tried to come up with this false memory syndrome and it fell flat on its face. There are so many congressional reports out there corroborating the evidence that your story is accurate. Don't let the enemy come in and antagonize you and take down your story. We, The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, he will deliver us from out of this. So just stay firm. Um, and if you feel like God is asking you to talk and come out, do that. You know, don't hide yourself under a bushel. We are there to be a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. So I just want to encourage people with that. This happens to all of us. It's just one of their tactics and strategies, and it's definitely an enemy tactic, but we can overcome this. Wow. I am sorry she did that to you. Isn't it crazy how they just come out of the woodwork? Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's just questioning questioning my memories and um, things that happened in my history. And the thing is, she was, she wasn't there. She was, you know, she was, she was there from time to time when we'd have sleepovers or, you know, whatever, but you know, she, she wasn't there when the abuse was taking place. She didn't know what was going on. And so I think that can really put us back as survivors of any kind if someone comes up and questions your memories, it can be intimidating. And sure. so we have to, we have to know our truth. The truth will set us free. Um, and the word of our testimony, the blood of the lamb, all of that, that will be used. And so just believe yourself, believe the story. Don't allow anyone to invalidate your memories, write out your memories. And that's a big thing that Kathy O'Brien talks about, she does have this PTSD, a time to heal ebook that's available. Um, you can pay what you can, if you can to get it. This has been helpful just from a writing out your memory standpoint. It does allow a different part of your brain to be utilized. When you're writing it out, it uses more of a cognitive, logical reason, reasoning part of your brain. Very, very helpful when you're deprogramming. 
And when you sense a program is in place, become your own investigative journalist. Like who told you that? Where were you when this took place? And when you recognize that a lot of this is programming, it's very helpful to then deprogram um, and healing from within. And Kathy talks about like not allowing anyone else on the outside to invalidate your experience. You and your intelligent designer are going to be able to figure this out. And then nobody can come along and make you shaken. You know, if it's you and him, you're good to go. There's another resource I just wanted everyone to have. There's a, a book, a workbook that I'm sharing with a lot of my clients called Steps to Freedom in Christ. Um, it's like $8. It can be uh, purchased on Amazon and it helps to resolve personal and spiritual conflicts. It helps towards forgiveness. Um, and it helps just with grief and, and walking through what do we do from a spiritual perspective. So I think this is a really helpful tool. Um, I don't agree with everything that's in it. But the majority of things that are in it are incredibly helpful and have been very um, effective to helping people get beyond the blockade that's stopping them from healing. Um, this is a big topic, Lisa. I don't know that we can really cover this today. Um, but, you know, just know if we have an intelligent designer, there's an enemy force out there. Um, a lot of you have already faced that enemy force and kind of tasted hell. Um, on this earth. So we know that warfare is happening. We know that inner healing is a significant part of what needs to happen. And there's a lot of talk about deliverance. And so what's the difference between these things? When should it happen? What are the recommendations? There's so many thoughts out there, but I do think that this is a good conversation to have at some point in time, um, you know, with multiple parties to really put the different debate topics out there on this and really come to our own conclusions. Um, but the um, previous slide that has the um, Steps to Freedom in Christ talks a little bit about this too. So I think this is an important um, discussion to have. I also sent you this slide, Lisa, and it's got a uh, link here. I think this is highly important to help us to break out of slavery mentality when we're looking to build relationships. So if we remember that the Israelites, from a biblical perspective, they preferred the comforts of slavery when they faced the desert. And so I just want to validate individuals that feel like, hey, so I was smacked in the face with uh, freedom and here I am on the other side, but this freedom feels cruel because I'm now alone. It's easier to go back into the occult and be accepted by someone instead of going through this painful, grueling process of healing and not having a long-term plan and nobody's coming alongside of me to, to help heal. Um, so sometimes, and I just, I use this as an example, like the Israelites did prefer to go back to Egypt when they were in the wilderness. Um, and it makes sense. I want to validate that, but we have to stick in there to get to true freedom, to get to the promised land, right? Um, it says, once accustomed to living in slavery, it's difficult to change the mentality. I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Harriet um, for Harriet Tubman or read her story, but even her own sister wouldn't come with her to freedom. She was too sold out to slavery. She couldn't imagine that. So a true slave enjoys subservience. I think the clients that come to me, they, they're not true slaves. As long as there's a godly spirit of rebellion, 
and that is alive and ever seeking freedom. They're not true slaves. So I just put this article in there because I think it's a very good Hebraic um, article that's very helpful to understand the difference between what a true slave is versus one seeking freedom. And I think anyone watching this is seeking freedom. So this may be um, helpful. I'm writing a book um, called Far Fallen Apple. Um, and in it, I'm talking about the painful requirement of leading, leaving a false Eden of the family of origin, if that's required. It's not always required. Um, but Lisa, I do have a link here to Kate Tolman's SRA um, family relationships. Um, and so I'm just going to pull that up really quickly. Can you see this or not yet? Yeah, it's up there. You're seeing should an SRA survivor maintain a close relationship with family members? Uh, no. I'm not seeing that. Let me pull that up. Here we go. Okay, so for this, um, and I'll include the link here, but just some, you know, eight questions that we can ask ourselves. Is this, so, you know, nobody's saying you definitely have to leave your family, but there are some reasons that you may want to consider that and what that could look like. So asking yourselves these eight questions is really important. Um, you know, taking time to seek the Lord's counsel on this, having safe conversations with others. Um, if there are other safe individuals in your life, it's, it's something that, uh, was a requirement for me, um, from a safety standpoint. So, uh, just know that this is a resource as well that I just wanted to share with everyone. Wonderful. That's good because it's scary to know, should I be around my family? Should I be around anybody from my family? And I think sometimes the thought of losing your entire family, like I did, is it worth to be free and have no family and to be sitting here by yourself? And then, you know, some survivors, like I'm married, so I, at least I have that, but some survivors aren't, and they spend the rest of their life completely alone in isolation. Should I, should they go back and just put up with it? Yeah. And what do you, you know? think? No, I don't believe they should. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think isolation and healing and peace is way better than slavery and destruction. Agree. So when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was to go into the promised land to have freedom with him. And some of them did get that. Joshua got that. Mm -hmm. Caleb got that because they were able to go into all the freedom and all the promises that God had for them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people coming out of SRA, but we got to figure out what that freedom that God has is and be able to get there. Yeah. And I just posted about that because the other two, so Joshua and Caleb, why were they able to cross over? Weren't they the only two with the good report? Mm -hmm. That is very important for us to know. Yeah. It is possible to get out of a background like this and to have a rich, beautiful, healthy life. And I've seen it. And so I have all the hope in the world, even if the survivor doesn't have hope. I've experienced it myself as well. And looking in the mirror every day and I testify to my own self what the power of God can do 
Um, if we follow some of these things, we make the hard choices. It's not all easy choices. And I get, I validate that for people. We do have to fight. And if we do, and if we partner with our intelligent designer, we can get to the other side of this. It's not impossible. No, Yeah. but it's, it's, it's all God. Yeah, exactly. It's all God. None of us can take any credit. No. <laughs> um, really quick, I did want, this is helpful for survivors to just see. Uh, it's a, a very good tool that Kay Tolman put together just to understand the five stages of healing. I think this is good for not only survivors, but for friends and family and even churches to see. Um, beginning stage, crisis stage, interim stage, which is the longest portion of healing the point of healing stage or transition, and then the last stage, just for people to see what, what are the characteristics of each of these stages. Some of these stages can be years in length. So I think this is a very powerful tool to share with people, especially spouses or churches that are like, come on, get through it, get through it. This is, it's really good for people to see this. That's helpful. That yeah. is very helpful. Um, one of the things that have come up recently, um, and I don't know if, if Lisa, you've heard a lot about this, but I've received a lot of inquiries about the sound of freedom from survivors and what are my thoughts on it and a lot of upset and confusion because they know that there are specific affiliations that seem nefarious. And I'll just say this, I've got some, some text here at the bottom, but some of the concerns that have come up is that there's a focus in this movie on international trafficking and not in the States. Um, there's the pedestaling, the lifting up and honoring of characters within the CIA, Homeland Security, FBI, Mormon and Brotherhood networks, um, where there's a lot of perpetration happening. Um, there's a Hollywood depiction of these children being rescued and the rescue brings instant healing. Um, you know, I've definitely seen, you know, where there's clapping and stuff like that directly after they were rescued, like they're in this utopian world now, and it doesn't show long-term strategy for helping survivors and what the reality of uh, being smacked in the face with freedom feels like. It's not a beautiful thing. Um, there's a concern that there's a cover-up for the real control of the trafficking trade, and I, I validate that that they serve up this, in this movie, a garden variety trafficking bus to the public with good PR. But behind the scenes, the kids were spent or re-trafficked on behavioral modification programs and, and further trafficked through CPS. Um, some other concerns is that there's known handlers that have funded this movie and Operation Underground Railroad was connected with the Clinton Foundation hotline. So I just wanted to put this out there. What I'm hearing from survivors, I validate the concerns. I totally understand. Um, and at the same time, and this is kind of what, what I wanted to say, is God does take evil intentions and turn it for good. And so I've got a little um, thing that I wanted to send Lisa with an article that shows how can God do this? You know, people will still learn about trafficking from this movie. And people, churches are starting to be awakened and moved to action. All things that are hidden will be revealed at some point. And there are advocates out there willing to talk about the guts of SRA and the very difficult 
um, conversations that need to be had. So just remember that through this movie, in spite of nefarious things taking place, that there still can be good that comes from it, that will benefit this conversation that everyone wants to have. And it's my hope that it will open doors for survivors and that more community will be built because of it. Yeah, I think we have to look at it as a win. You know, it, it opens conversation. And we, I mean, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, 100%. I and totally I, agree. I know it's been very triggering for a lot of survivors that have gone to see it. Yeah. And I know that dissociated parts of survivors, as they've watched it, have been hurt that they weren't rescued, that nobody yeah. came for them, or that nobody cares about SRA. And that's, that one's still tough. Yeah. But this is a step, to me, this is a step towards the conversation of SRA and MK Ultra. you know, it, we're, we're making logical steps there. Agree. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I wanted to share, uh, these are just like some family roles that, that I have uh, that we all kind of sat together and thought, what do we want our family to look like? And individually, that I, I just want to put this challenge out there to anyone watching this. What is your culture board look like? It, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you live with friends, whether you live on your own, what do you want your culture board to look like? And if you have this sitting before you on a wall or, you know, I, I just ordered this from Etsy and they carved it into a piece of wood. It's something that, are we good at all of these things? Absolutely not. Every day we fail at it, but it does keep us looking um, at this and it keeps us accountable to each other. So I would just highly recommend this is an exercise that individuals can do um, to help change the culture of, of their mind and those that they want to uh, invite into their inner circle. I love that so much. Um, really quick, I did want to share, I'm working with, um, Andy Bond. Some, some individuals know who Andy is. She's a survivor of SRA and, uh, MK ultra. Um, Kathy O'Brien has been, um, she will be part of this. She's already sent us a recording of her voice that we can put into the song. So, um, and then Emma, Catherine from the imagination podcast, we're all kind of working on a project called spiritual warrior. So it's a song that is written and performed by survivors, um, whether it's from, I'm part of it. So I'm not from SRA or MK Ultra, or, and I wasn't trafficked, but I did come from the, from the sex industry. So I'll be working with a producer and some musicians to put together a song, kind of an anthem for other survivors to be part of. And so we want voices of survivors to be part of this recording. And what we're asking um, people to do is to share this link. So Lisa, there's a link here on this page that you can share. And if they have uh, people in their lives that uh, would want to give towards this, or if they know of um, anyone who'd want to give just a couple dollars, we're trying to raise money to, to pay this producer to bring musicians together and survivors together so that we have a song that's an anthem that we can play and feel encouraged and uplifted by. Um, so I always hate to ask for money, but it's like the producers need money to move forward on it. Um, yeah. So feel free to check out the, the website um, and then let us know if you have any questions on that. And then that's it. 
Wow. This was wonderful. Thank you so much, Amy. Oh, thank you for having me on. I hope that it was encouraging and uplifting to some survivors out there. And if you guys have any questions for me at all, just let me know. Wonderful. It's always a delight to have you here. I really appreciate you and you mean a lot to the survivor community and we cannot thank you enough for the hard work you're doing for us. Thank you. Well, you all mean a lot to me. You are constantly educating me every day and I'm just so thankful for every single survivor that I've um, come alongside. You guys are just phenomenal trainers. I'll say that. Well, thank you. And thank everybody for listening. Have a great day. Bye guys.